0: Good evening, church. It's great to see you this evening. My name's David, if I haven't met you before. Uh, what TV show do you think was voted the best TV show of the 21st century so far? Ever think to yourself? Uh, this is There's a lot of polls out there, but this is according to an Apple News poll. Uh, I'll give you a clue. I'll give you the top three in no particular order. See if you uh, agree with this. Doctor Who, Game of Thrones, and Stranger Things. Now, what I want you to do is actually, I want you to get your mobile phones out. Yep, everyone get your phones out. When I was, a few years ago, you weren't allowed have phones in church, but we really encourage it. So what I want you to do is scan the barcode, or if that barcode doesn't work, you can go to slido.com and put in that number. It will work. And I want you to give me your answer. So that will take you to a little uh, uh, quiz. So we can put on the, uh, the next screen. So scan that barcode, and we're going to see what you think. So you, once you've scanned that in, you should, yeah, once you scan that in, you should, oh, okay, we're getting the answers. See, look, this is, this is live. <laughs> this is real time. So keep, keep putting your answers in. I want to see what you think. It's not actually what your favourite is, what you think was voted number one. All right, okay. So Game of Thrones, 54%. Stranger Things, 26%. Okay, we've got 50 people. Oh, we've got a lot of people doing it. That's great. Oh, nice little music uh, in the background. So I think, all right, a couple more. We'll see if any... All right, it's still going up. We'll wait for a little while. Okay, a bit, there's a bit of uh, movement down below, but it does look like Game of Thrones has won. So you thought Game of Thrones was voted number one, and the answer is, so we'll just slide that back away. Put my slides back on. Yes, that was the answer. Game of Thrones. Now, uh, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones went for eight seasons. And the average uh, audience uh, for the last season per episode was 44 million people per episode. Now, I didn't watch the series, but I did watch uh, an edited version of the eight seasons with all the violence and the sex removed. It went for about five minutes. Uh, It wasn't a bad five minutes, but uh, now... The show is about a medieval fantasy world where families compete for control of this iron throne of the seven kingdoms. That's a very cool throne. I'd like one in my office. But uh, why was the show so popular? I think because the storyline was endlessly intriguing. Who is going to sit on the throne and rule all the kingdoms? And just when you thought you knew who it was, what happened? They got killed, didn't they? Yeah. Now, Game of Thrones is fantasy. Did you know that? Yeah. All right. So Sorry, sorry if I've spoiled that for anyone. But Game of Thrones is fantasy. But in the word of God is the true story of the king who is the king of kings. Amen. The true story. God promises King David that the King David of Israel that one of his sons will sit on God's throne, on David's throne, which is God's throne. They will sit on that throne forever. And they will rule not, not only Israel, they will rule all the nations for all time. And every person on the planet will submit to this king. Now, the Jews had certain expectations of who this king would be. But when the king stood right in front of them, they totally missed it. Today, we're looking at part of the word of God that is key to revealing who this king is. It's the Old Testament chapter that Jesus and his apostles refer to most often. It's that that important. Can anyone tell me what is the Old Testament chapter referred to most often in the New Testament the answer is Psalm 110 Psalm 110 so it was written a thousand years before Christ was born and this is the psalm in the original Hebrew this psalm as we're going to see is a cornerstone of Christian theology it is pivotal In helping us to understand who Christ is but the key to understanding it is the resurrection no one could comprehend this psalm for a thousand years until Jesus rose from the dead why is Jesus resurrection the key and what do we learn about Christ from this psalm so that's what we're going to be looking at this evening Uh, We're taking a break from our uh, series in Romans just during the school holidays and we'll resume that next week. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read this psalm, but we're going to read from the English version, if that's okay with you, because my Hebrew is not as good as yours uh, and uh, I think that might make it easier for us. Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way and so he will lift his head high. Please be seated. So the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Whenever you see Lord in capitals in the Old Testament, it refers to God's name, Yahweh. Whenever you see Lord in the Old Testament, not in capitals, it refers to Adonai, which means master, ruler, which can be used of God as master, ruler, or can be used of human masters and rulers. So King David is here saying, Yahweh says to my ruler sit at my right hand remember this is a psalm of david king david's ruler is going to sit at god's right hand but who could be david's ruler because david is the king of israel david started the dynasty of the kings of israel he was number one and every king that came after him sat on his throne every king was a son of david so who is this ruler of king david who will sit at god's right hand well no one no one knew uh the Jew, remember jesus questions the jewish leaders about this he says why do the teachers of the law say that the messiah is a son of david david himself calls him lord how then can he be his son you see, if King David is greater than all his sons, how can a son of David be David's ruler? And we don't find out until after the resurrection. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Uh, to be God's right hand man means that you're given executive power and authority to rule God's creation. The ruler's enemies will be defeated and they will lie down before the king's throne as if they are a mere footstool. Verse 2. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion saying rule in the midst of your enemies. So a scepter is one of those kind of old-fashioned staffs with ornaments on it uh, to symbolise for kings and queens that they are they have power. Zion there is the hill that Jerusalem is built on. So the king's rule is going to begin in Jerusalem, but it's going to extend beyond Israel. It's going to he's going to rule over all his allies and ultimately over all his enemies. Your troops will be willing on the day of on your day of battle, arrayed in holy garments. That holy garments uh, will have significance a little bit later. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. Dew from the morning's womb is a beautiful picture. It's a picture of uh, fresh energy. The king's followers are keen volunteers. They are not reluctant conscripts, right, like the Russian troops reluctantly going to fight in the Ukraine for their leader Putin. No, these volunteers are very different. These people have hearts that are fully for the king. And so, whatever sufferings they are called on to endure, and however the battle goes, their willingness to serve the king is never going to be in doubt. Verse 4: The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. God always tells the truth. He doesn't have to say, I swear on my mother's grave or I swear on the Bible. Right? God doesn't have to do that to convince you that he's telling the truth because he's always telling the truth. But here, he swears an oath in order to give even more assurance that what he says is going to happen. But they had to wait a thousand years for that to happen. He says, you are a priest forever. A priest in the Old Testament was an intermediary between God and man, as we heard from Pastor Chin. The, the priests offered sacrifices to God, and they taught the Word of God to the people. The high priest was, was top dog. He was the, one, the only one allowed into God's presence. But they came and went. They, they came and then they died. There were 83 high priests in Israel's history. But the one to come, the one that God has promised, is going to be a priest forever. He's going to be our intermediary forever. And you may have heard this strange name. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Not Mel Gibson, but Melchizedek. It's a strange name, isn't it, Melchizedek, for a start? Anyone named their kid Melchizedek recently? No, not in the top ten in Australia. Uh, Melchizedek... He's a strange figure. His only appearance in the Bible storyline is these three short verses which we heard in the book of Genesis. He's very mysterious. Uh, In Genesis, this is what we heard. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. So Melchizedek comes out of nowhere, out of left field. He disappears just as quickly, and then he kind of leaves without a trace. We don't don't see any trace of him again. We don't get told much about him. He's the king of righteousness. That's what his name means. And he's the king of Salem, which possibly could be Jerusalem. And he's also a priest of God Most High. So he's a king and he's a priest. And he was the only king and priest in the Old Testament. Because remember, if you were a priest of Israel, If you were a priest, you had to come from a particular tribe. The tribe of what? Levi. If you were a king, you came from a different tribe, a tribe of Judah. So you couldn't be both a priest and a king. But this priest is both. So according to Psalm 110, the ruler who is going to be sitting at the right hand of God turns out not just to be a king, but he turns out to be a priest, somehow modelled on this strange figure of Melchizedek, What's it all about? No wonder they were scratching their heads for a thousand years. We don't find out until after Jesus' resurrection. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way and so he will lift his head high. So the Lord is going to be at the king's right hand. He is going to win the battle for the king and the king will lift his head high which in ancient military language means this king is going to win and he's going to win big. He will stop and he'll drink without fear because he is the victor and he knows he's going to be and he he shatters his enemies and he will not relent until every one of his foes submits to him. So that's the psalm, and the psalm is left dangling, unresolved. Who is David's son that is greater than David and will sit at God's right hand? What what has Melchizedek got to do with anything? And why is the king also a priest? These questions remained unanswered for a a thousand years, and then Jesus rose from the dead, and it all made sense. Let me show you. So after Jesus' resurrection, uh, the Apostle Peter gets up. and He addresses a large crowd, a crowd of about 3,000 at Pentecost. And he says this, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said... The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So, Peter is, uh, uh, this is the climax of Peter's speech about the significance of the resurrection, and he uses Psalm 110 to make his point. Jesus is King David's ruler. Because while David is dead and buried, Jesus, who is born in the line of David, Jesus' body was not, it did not see decay. He was not abandoned to the grave. Jesus conquered death and therefore he reigns forever. That's why Jesus is both the son of David and also he is David's Lord. Jesus rises from the clouds. He ascends into uh, into the clouds to symbolizes that to symbolize that he rules over all the world. He's not just king over Israel. He's king over all the nations. He's king over. Uh, uh, he's given authority over all uh, power. Uh, he's enthroned over every power, spiritual, physical. He is a lord of heaven and earth. Now, during Jesus' trial before his crucifixion, the high priest asked him this question. Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus is saying to the Jewish leaders that he's about to demonstrate that he is David's ruler of Psalm 110 seated at God's right hand which we know now was happened because of the resurrection but which the Jewish leaders did not of course anticipate but Jesus is saying more than this though isn't he he's saying he will soon demonstrate that he is this son of man who will come on the clouds of heaven receiving all glory and power what does he mean the Son of Man comes from the Old Testament book of Daniel, which we had read earlier. Also written hundreds of years before Christ came. Jesus is claiming that he is this Son of Man. Just to remind you, this is what the, uh, the Daniel 7 said. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Jesus is claiming to the Jewish leaders, that's him. And the Jewish leaders deemed that he was blaspheming for saying that he, a mere man, would be this figure in Daniel 7 but it becomes a reality three days later after the resurrection see Jesus is one like a son of man he is human but he also has a heavenly origin and a heavenly destination and as a result of his resurrection what does he do he comes in the clouds to God to sit at God's right hand and one day he will return in the clouds to judge jesus is that king he is david's ruler and he is the one that rules he's the one that's given all authority and all power now as we've seen in psalm 110 the king also needs to be a priest now why is that priests don't have a good name these days Uh, why does jesus have to be a priest well for the answer we turn to the book of hebrews that, uh, Hebrews 7.11 says this, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? Uh, Le- the Levitical priesthood, with its endless animal sacrifices, could not make people right with God. Right? It couldn't, it couldn't deal with sin. And so there had to be a change in the priesthood. And that's where this strange figure of Melchizedek comes in Melchizedek is in the Scriptures to point to how Jesus can be the priest that we need, how Jesus can be the priest that can get the job done. You'll notice that in the Scriptures there's no information given about Melchizedek's birth or his death. And that's deliberate because in one sense, therefore, the, Hebrews, the, author of, the writer of Hebrews says, Melchizedek is without genealogy. He is without beginning or end of life because it's not actually written there. This is true of Christ in an absolute sense. Christ is without beginning or end. He is God in the flesh. He is the resurrected one, which means he is the intermediary between us and God who can actually get the job done. He continues, he says... For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus' life is indestructible demonstrated by him rising from the dead and this indestructible life means that jesus can be our priest he can his priesthood is eternal and his priesthood needs to be eternal for us to be saved the writer goes on he explains why he says because jesus because jesus lives forever he has a permanent priesthood Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. The power of Jesus' indestructible life means that he can endlessly intercede as a priest for us. What does that mean? It means that he is standing in the gap for you and for me. Jesus is praying in heaven the way that he prayed on earth. He's praying that his disciples would persevere. He's praying for you right now. He's praying for me that we would persevere in the faith until the end. He's praying that we would get to the finish line, that you would get to the finish line. He's praying for us that when we're tested, that we would not give up. He's presenting to the Father those spiritual needs that we didn't even know We need it. He's doing that right now for you. He prays for our protection against the enemies and uh, our enemies and dangers that threaten us that you're not even conscious of. Jesus is standing in the gap for you right now. Jesus' prayers cover everything that would make sure that you receive the final salvation that Jesus has secured for you through his death and resurrection. And he can do that only because he is our eternal intermediary. He's our eternal priest. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, He waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. You see again the echoes of Psalm 110, which weaves its way through all these passages. Jesus did what no priest was ever allowed to do. And what was that? Sit down. In the Old Testament tabernacle, where the priests offered their sacrifices, there was actually nowhere to sit. Why? Because the priest's job was never done. It was never finished. It was never completed. There were always sins to be dealt with. There were always animal sacrifices to give. But Jesus sat down in the presence of God because his death and resurrection was a finished work. He had done it. He has clothed us in holy garments like Psalm 110 says. He paid for sins once and for all. So he sat down. It's Jesus as the priest who has the victory. If you thought, who would win out of a king and a priest? You'd probably think the king, right? Who's going to win the battle for us? You'd think, well, the king will do that. But it was the priest who won salvation for us. Jesus is victorious over the enemies of sin and evil, not through the force of his armies, but through his priestly act of offering himself as a sacrifice to God the Father and rising from the dead as his sacrifice is accepted. See, Jesus is not victorious by the sword. He's victorious by his priestly death and resurrection. That's why we need Jesus to be our priest. And Jesus' death and resurrection is the way that Jesus became the king. The death and resurrection of Jesus, it's his coronation. The suffering servant became the king as he's exalted to the right hand of God through his resurrection. And Jesus' kingdom has been expanding ever since as the gospel goes across the nations. And when the gospel has reached God's elect, all of God's elect, Jesus will return in the clouds and he will judge the nations and his enemies will be made a footstool. Adam, the first man, he was given the role of, what was it, what was his role? He was given the role of representing God and ruling. Uh, he was like a, he mediated the rule of heaven on earth. He was like the prototype priest king. But Adam failed. Israel was given the role to be a priestly uh, kingdom of priests, but Israel failed. Jesus faithfully carries out his obligations of being priest and king. He is the perfect priest king. Someone says, hey what was the talk about tonight? Jesus is my perfect priest king. Psalm 110 talked about it a thousand years before Christ. No one knew what it meant, but after Jesus' resurrection, it became a reality. I want to finish with this verse. Uh, the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2, he says, You, you church, you are a royal priesthood. See, that's very similar language. Christ has restored to you and me our original calling to be. A representative of god a representative of god and to serve god that's we, we, we've been uh, restored to that original calling and because we've been saved by our faithful priest king because he's clothed us in holy garments he's clothed us in his righteousness so that god now looks at you with the same love and affection that he looks at his own son because of that Let us be like the followers described in Psalm 110. Remember how they were described? They were not reluctant conscripts. They they were people whose hearts have been deeply changed by what Christ has done. So come what may, whatever sufferings you may be called on to endure, however the battle goes, our willingness to serve our King will never be in doubt. That is the only proper response to Jesus, the perfect priest king. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just marvel at the Bible storyline which fits together and all these shadows in the Old Testament become a reality in the new. And uh, some of these stories just seem very strange, but Lord, in the, we see that they all find their fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. And we thank you that he is our perfect priest king. Thank you that he won the victory as priest through his death and resurrection. We know that the risen king is the reigning king. One day he will be the returning king to judge. And Lord, we want to live for you with all that we have. We don't want to be reluctant conscripts. But we want to serve you with all that we have. And i just pray for, pray for each person here. Pray for myself. I pray for each person here, Lord, that we would, we would meditate on this psalm. We would see its significance. And we would give our lives for this perfect priest king. In Jesus' name, amen.